Well, hi there. Thank you so much for clicking on this message today. You're about to hear a message preached at one of our Sunday services by one of our amazing teachers and speakers in the church. We know it's going to bless you today. And so if you want more information, please go to our website at www.collective.org.za and you'll find all the information that you need. We pray that the sermon blesses you today. hitting the third one. Today we're talking about we believe big, start small. We believe big, but we start small. It's one of my favorite ones. This is one that sits on my mind all the time, something that I'm thinking about all the time. We believe big and we start small. And as we open up this morning, I actually want to tell you a a quick story from a man from history. And you might know the story really well, and I'm not going to go too deep into um, the historical facts, but I want to get a picture, and I want you to put this picture in your mind. There was a young man. He was born into a really rich family in the 1500s. He was extraordinarily wealthy, his family was. And so he had the opportunity to engage in all kinds of educational and vocational ideas. He went to universities. He spent time getting degrees. He was very bright. He, he learned the arts. He learned mathematics, geometry. He learned all kinds of things. And while he was at um, university, one of the times that he was studying, he encountered a professor who was very interested in astronomy. And he started to learn things. And this triggered something inside of him to have a deep passion and understanding, not just a a passion, but an understanding of how the cosmos worked. Astronomy, how stars worked and how the planets worked. His name was Galileo Galilei, right? That's his name. We've all heard of him. Very famous name. And he grew up in this space. He learned so much. He was well-educated. And he began to question things. This is something I was studying up on this just to understand a little bit bit deeper about the character of this man. And he was apparently, uh, while he was extremely intelligent, he was a bad student. What am I trying to say? He questioned everything and everyone. He was almost disrespectful in the way that he Um, questioned his professors. Because at the time, we're talking about the 1500s. This is a very long time ago. We've come a long way since then. But at that point in time, there was general views held by, um, by people that came from ancient Greek philosophy and things like that, Aristotle and such. And he would question even these well held beliefs. And it was almost um, I don't know, if for better better word, the, the academic world found it like heretical. Like it was, you're not allowed to question these guys. They know more than you could ever know. You're not allowed to question. Yet he questioned. And that put walls up all around him in so many parts of his life. And I see his character. He was so interested in truth, in finding out what the truth was, that he wouldn't let anyone stand in his way. And so that made enemies. It made enemies for him all over the place. And the biggest place it made enemies for him was in the church. This was huge, right? Because there was another man named Nicolaus Copernicus. You don't need, there's no test at the end of this preach, I promise. You don't need to remember all these names. But he came up with this idea, right? 
that the earth was not the center of the universe, but the sun was the center of the universe and the earth orbited around the sun. He came up with this idea. It's called a heliocentric universe. And this at the time was shocking to everybody. For us, it's kind of normal to understand this. But for everyone at the time, it was shocking because they had been taught all throughout their lives and it was a well-held belief in the church that the earth was the center of the universe and everything else revolved around it. And so this caused a lot of controversy. Now you fast forward a little bit to Galileo. He picks up these ideas and starts to run with them. In fact, he doesn't just pick that idea up. He starts to question that idea itself to say, well, is the sun even the center of the universe? Or is it just one of the stars that orbit all around a massive universe? And maybe we're just an insignificant portion of that. When he came out with his findings and his studies, he was completely attacked by the church at the time, completely. He became an enemy of the church. Why? Because he felt, or the church felt at the time, that if this earth is not the center of the universe, then God is not true. We know that this is not true. But because of the belief held at the time, that, that made him an enemy of the church. And the church was not just... Uh, spiritual space. The, earth, uh, the church was not just spiritual in that time. It was very political. I mean, even to, to today, the church is very political in so many ways. But at that time, the church, and specifically the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope, held so much political power. And this made him an enemy all over the place. He eventually ended up having to recant what he said and he would say that he doesn't believe in it, that he was just exploring the ideas. He had to say many things and the long story short is that this man, Galileo, actually was arrested and tried and put in prison for just thinking that something different to what the church was saying could be true. He lived out the end of his life under house arrest. He never was free again. And he, in fact, had to publish his books and his writings and things in Amsterdam and other countries because if he published it in his own country, it would be destroyed, not allowed to be published. And so he went against all of these things. And I'm not here particularly saying that the church is bad or wrong or anything like that. What I want you to see here is what Galileo had to face in order to achieve what he achieved. If it wasn't for men like Galileo, we would still believe that the earth was the center of the universe. We know today that it's not, that we are just one a solar system in a massive galaxy, in a massive universe. That's possibly even one of many multiverses. It's crazy and it's beautiful and it's all part of God's amazing design. But at that moment, he had to make a choice. And I try to put myself in his shoes, trying to think, you've studied and you've figured the mathematics out because it's not just a thought he had, a philosophical thought. He studied the mathematics and he worked it out and he said, no, this is how it works. It has to work this way. The math works out. He had studied this. He put it all together and now he had to make a decision do I publish this? Do I put this out at risk, at danger to myself? Or do I hold on to it for myself and not put it out there? The reality is that you and I face the same kinds of questions in our lives 
all the time. Do I take a step out to where it might be dangerous or to maybe somewhere where I'm uncomfortable or do I stay where it is safe? We get these questions all the time. You get it at your job. You get it with your family. We get it here at church in ministry where we have to make decisions. Do we step out and take a risk because we really believe in where we're going or do we stay where it is safe? This guy had to answer that question and his answer was, I'm going to step out. And it cost him his freedom. He was arrested. He had to stay under house arrest. He was still able to study and do the things he needed to do, but mostly because he was from a wealthy family and he had sway. If it was anyone else, he would have been thrown in prison and forgotten forever. But because of who he was, he actually was able to continue his studies. He took a step. He took a step where it was dangerous. And because of that step he took, we have so much more knowledge of this vast universe than we ever would have had. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I look around at the world and I think, you know, everything's already been explored. I think about church, like we need to bring church and the message of Christ and the unchanging, ancient and beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus. We need to bring it to a new generation. And I ask myself, haven't we already done everything? Is there anything left to try? Is there anything left that's new? Is there anything left? It feels like we've explored the whole world. Every corner of every map is filled out. We know the blanks. We're starting to understand even beyond our world into this universe that we live in. It's like everything has already been explored. But I want to say this to you, especially as we outset on this message, that we serve a big God. We serve the God who created this massive universe that Galileo was just touching the surface of. We serve a massive God. He created the universe, every star, every planet. And let me tell you something, this massive God that we serve, who holds the universe in his hand, he has a vision big enough to match his size. He has creativity big enough to match his size. And he has a plan for your life big enough to match his size. He is not slowing down. He is not stepping away. He has a big plan for you. He has a massive vision. His vision matches his majesty. And I want to say for our church and for your life, God's vision for you is bigger than you imagine. It's bigger than you could ever imagine. I believe for our church, for this place, God's vision is bigger than we imagine. We can imagine so far and he has more for us than we think. He has more for your business. He has more for your household, your family. He has more for you than you imagine. And I think if you have been in this church for a long time or you've grown up in a church that really encourages you and inspires you to step into more, to trust God for more, if you've been in a church like that, then maybe you don't struggle so much with vision, right? We, we understand, we need vision, we need to think, we need to dream big, we need to ask God about where he's taking us and follow him there. If you've been in a church like that, then maybe vision isn't what you struggle with so much. So what do we struggle with? If vision isn't the thing that we necessarily struggle with, what do we struggle with? We struggle with action. 
we struggle with taking the step. You might know that you want to start a business, but it takes taking a step to actually do something with it. Can I give you a piece of profound wisdom? Something that you can think about for the rest of your life. It will always be relevant. It will always be true. Vision without action is meaningless. Simple. Vision without action is going nowhere. It will stay in your mind and it won't go anywhere. Vision requires action for anything to take place. We understand this, but it's difficult. Wherever you are on the visionary spectrum, you need to apply this simple idea that no matter whether vision is easy for me to find or difficult for me to find, once I have any kind of vision, I gotta take a step. I gotta take a step. And maybe you're like me. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And you even know in your own life that there are things you want to do, things you feel called to do, things you feel like God is saying for you to do, part of his plan. Maybe he spoke it to you when you were younger. Maybe he spoke it to you in a prophetic word. Maybe he has revealed his plan for you, but you still struggle to get in. You know, we have many excuses for why we don't do what we know God has called us to do. Sometimes it's, I don't have the education. Sometimes it's, I don't have the resources. I don't have the money. I don't have the space. Or I don't have the influence. There are so many excuses that we can come up with. In fact, you can come up with, a, with an excuse that makes sense. We're all capable of doing so. We can come up with an excuse that makes sense. And everyone will be like, yeah, you know what? You're right. You can't do it. That makes sense. And then you'll feel good. You'll be like, you're right. I can't do it, so I'm not going to do it. And then you go back to where it's safe. But let me tell you, the real issue that we're talking about, the real problem is not our excuses. It's not our lack of education or lack of resources or lack of understanding or opportunity. It's none of that. Our biggest opponent is fear. Our biggest opponent is fear. Galileo's opponent was not the church. At the time, it was fear. Every church planter that has planted a church and done something for God, their biggest opponent was not the devil or the enemy, it's fear. And your biggest opponent today is not your education, it's not your circumstances, it's not the economy or the government or anything else. It's not the rain, it's not the load shedding, it is fear. Fear is your biggest opponent. And today I want to talk about it. Today we're talking about thinking big, but starting small. That's who we are. That's part of what we want to espouse as a church. We always want to be thinking big, but starting small. And I want to read from a scripture that I think, especially if you've been in church for a while, you'll know quite well. But I'm hoping it's going to minister something to you. I'm hoping it's going to speak something to you today. So if you've got your Bibles, will you turn to the book of Joshua chapter 1. This story right here is, it's huge for when we're talking about this idea of vision, of stepping into who God has called you to be, stepping into what God has for you. This story will change your life. We're going to read together. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, 
you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place you set your foot as I promised Moses. Now just take a pause here. This is vision. This is God giving vision. He says to Joshua, take up all these people and go into the land. Everywhere that your foot treads, everywhere you set your foot, I will give you as I promised Moses. Verse 4, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. God is giving vision. He's getting Joshua to dream big. He's thinking big. This is all that you will have. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is what God is saying. He's setting Joshua up for where he is going. Just as we're reading the scripture right now, think in your own life, what has God said to you? What is the dream in your heart? Some of you might say, well, God's never said to me in so many words, this is what you will do. God's never said that to me. Well, what's the dream in your heart? What do you know you love to do? What is your passion? What are you passionate about? What is that dream you just can't let go of? What is that thing that is deep inside of you? That is God speaking to you about where he wants to take you. He gives you vision first. What is your vision? This is the vision that God had given Joshua. Dream big. Verse six, this is what God says to him. Be strong and courageous because I will lead these people because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them again he says be strong and very courageous be careful to obey all the law of my servant Moses gave you do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Why do you think God says to Joshua three times, be strong and courageous? Because Joshua's biggest enemies were not the Hittites or the Amalekites or any Canaanite person. It wasn't armies or cities or walls. It wasn't deserts or difficulties. It wasn't his own people. It was fear. Fear was Joshua's biggest enemy. God knew it. Once he gave the vision, I don't know if you've ever felt this before, but sometimes when God speaks, you look at the vision and the vision itself makes you afraid. You're like, God, this is way too big. There's no way I can do this. I've had this experience. I'm currently going through this experience. God, it's too big. I'm not the right person for the job. How much do you think Joshua was feeling this way at this point in time? Because Moses was the leader. Moses was the guy. Moses got them out of Egypt. He took them through the desert. He got them through the Red Sea. He got them here. And all of a sudden, now Moses is gone. What is Joshua going to do? Joshua had been working with Moses. He was Moses' aide. He knew everything that Moses did. 
He knew what to do. So what was his biggest enemy? It was fear. Fear was the thing that would stop him from leading his people. And fear is the thing that will stop you from doing what you are called to do. I want you to think in your life right now, if you had all the money, all the resources, all the time in the world, what would you be doing? What would you be doing? Why is that question important? Because the things that make us afraid, will I have enough money? Will I have enough time? Will I have enough resource? Will I have enough education to do these things? I want to say to you today that whatever God has placed in your life, his vision for your life, his calling for your life, whatever God has given you in your heart, he has equipped you to do. He will resource you to do. He will favor you to do. He will make the way straight. And he promises to never leave you nor forsake you. He wants to remove fear from your life. God is saying to you and to me today, be strong and very courageous. See, the same idea plays out in Jesus' life. In this Garden of Gethsemane moment, if you've been in church a long time, you'll know about it. Jesus has a big vision. What's Jesus' vision? The redemption of all mankind. You can't get a bigger vision than that. Our business or our family or our church is not as big as the redemption of all humankind. He has a massive vision. And with big vision comes big opposition. And so Jesus knows that at some point he has to be arrested, placed in jail, and go through all kinds. I don't even know if Jesus in his human nature, laying aside his divinity, even knew the extent of what he was about to face. All he knew was that he was afraid of what he was about to face. And so when Jesus senses his time is coming, this is how the story plays out, he goes away and secludes himself away. He brings his disciples with to this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. You probably know the story well. And he goes and further secludes himself from the rest of his disciples and just takes Peter, James, and John. They were his right-hand men. They were his closest ones. He takes them with and he says, stay and wait I'm going to go pray. The word actually says that Jesus was overcome with anxiety, overcome with fear. This is the same Jesus that when a life-threatening fatal storm was going about their boat in the middle of the sea, he was asleep in the boat. The same Jesus that when people threatened his life, he trusted the Holy Spirit and he just simply walked through them. It's one of the most enigmatic pieces of scripture. He's, they they want to throw Jesus off a cliff. And so Jesus realizes it's not my time. And so he just walks through them. The Bible says he just walked through them. We don't know what that meant. Did they go blind? Did they stop seeing Jesus? I mean, I want to be part of that crowd. Like, throw him over. Where is he? He's not here. Where did he go? No one knows. He just walked through them. This is the same Jesus. And his disciples had never seen him like this. Not one time had they ever seen Jesus fearful like that. He was strong. He was courageous. He was good all the time. Now all of a sudden, he is afraid. Not just scared. He is overcome with anxiety. 
you and I, we probably know something similar to us. There are moments in our life where we seem to be overcome with anxiety, overcome with fear and difficulty. Jesus was in this exact same space and he's praying to God. He is literally praying the prayer, God, let it be someone else. If it can be someone else, let it be someone else. And he prays this powerful prayer that we all need to know really well. Not my will, but your will be done. In that moment, what is Jesus doing? He's not showing us what a good and perfect Christian prays. No, what he's doing is he's taking trust out of himself and placing it in God. Not my will. I'm not trusting in my own will. I'm trusting in your will that you know what's good for me and I am going to trust you and follow you. That is what Jesus is doing. In our own lives, we have the same moment where God gives us big vision and we have to make the choice. Am I going to place my trust in God's will for my life or am I going to place trust in my own will for my life? life. See, from this moment, Jesus goes, he prays, he comes back. If you know the story, the, the disciples that were with him were asleep and he asked them, can't you stay awake just one hour? Can't you just keep watch just one hour? Why was he asking them to keep watch? Because he knew that he was about to be betrayed. And there it comes over the horizon. Jesus looks and coming up the garden, is Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, a disciple he loved, a disciple who went out and healed people and cast out demons, a disciple who walked with Jesus, coming up with Roman guards and soldiers and the Sanhedrin, the courts of the time, the, the judges of the time, they come and they arrest Jesus. And from this moment, he knows where his fate is, that he is going to have to go to a cross and die for the world. And in that moment, Jesus doesn't run away. He could have run. He could have fought. He had many disciples there. There wasn't just the 12. There were many disciples. Even unnamed disciples are there at this moment. They could have fought. They could have decided, you know what? We're going to take these guys down and we're going to be fine. We're going to continue with the message of the gospel. He chooses not to. In fact, there's a moment where one of his disciples cuts off one of these soldiers' ears. Jesus heals the guy and willingly surrenders himself to what may come. Why? Because not his will be done, God's will. He was trusting in God. How many of you know that at that moment, Jesus' biggest enemy was not that Roman soldier, it was fear. Fear was Jesus' biggest enemy. And it's the same in us. Can I say to you today that in this church, we will not let fear win. Come on, in this church, we will not let fear win. In your life, you will not let fear win. Because fear is the exact opposite of faith. When we look at, at faith, faith we would describe as trusting God or believing in God. We have belief in God. But it goes so much deeper than that. And the opposite of faith is not doubt or disbelief. The opposite of faith is fear. Because what does fear do? Fear robs you of your trust in God. Your trust in His plan for your life. 
but we will not let fear win. I promise you right now, no matter how big the vision God gives us, no matter where God takes us, no matter what happens in this building or on this property, we will follow God because His plan is bigger than ours, it's greater than ours, and it is good. He has a good plan for this church. No matter what He says, we will step into it because He is leading us and He will take us where He wants us to go. Where He wants us to go is good. Where He wants you to go is good. It's good. God will give you the vision, just like he gave to Joshua, just like he gave to Jesus. He will give you the vision. You will see where you need to go. And in that moment, you have to overcome fear with faith in God, trusting in him. And once you dream big, that's step one. We're only at part one of two parts. We've got to dream big. But then we got to start small. You see, Jesus didn't start at the Garden of Gethsemane. He went through processes on processes and God taught him and led him and taught him how to trust him and how to understand that he's going to take care of him. He, I know that in that moment that Jesus is having to trust God and he's sweating and he's sweating so profusely. He's having essentially an anxiety attack is what Jesus is having. He is sweating blood. It's something that happens as a, as a chemical reaction to the anxiety and stress that you are facing. In that moment, he's thinking back to that boat where God just calmed the oceans. He's thinking back to the moments that God saw him through the difficult moments so that he can have strength for now. I want to show you something from Joshua's story. It's time to start small. Once you have dreamed big, I want to encourage you, church, dream big. Start small. Joshua chapter 3 from verse 14. If you've got your Bibles, you can go there. It says this, Joshua chapter 3, verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, this is now God has spoken to Joshua and they're ready to go into the land. It says, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. So the presence of God goes before them. Verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a, ta at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people, check this out, crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground huge miracle. When it says that the Jordan was in flood, it was massive. It wasn't the Klein Yeske over here, you know, flowing down. It wasn't that. It was like the ocean in front of them, right? It was massive. And it was a torrent. It's not just a babbling brook. It was flowing. But what does God say? Come on, I want you to see something. He says to Joshua, if you read before this, you can go read it in your own time. He says to Joshua, cross the Jordan. And as you cross it, I am going to dry it up so that you can cross on dry ground. Send the Ark of the Covenant forward first. 
And that's exactly what they do. They send the Ark of the Covenant first. And God is faithful. But let me tell you that those priests carrying that Ark, they had to overcome fear to step in. They had to trust God to take a step and to walk into that Jordan. Because if they walked more than three feet in front of them, they would have been swept away by this river. But they chose to have faith in God, in what Joshua had told them to do, knowing that he hears from God. And as they did it, it dried up and the whole nation walked over. But take a second to think about this. What does this entire story remind you of? It reminds you of the Red Sea, where Moses stretched out and the seas parted and the nation was able to cross on dry ground away from the approaching Egyptian army. If you don't know the story, go and read it. It's huge and it's massive. What is God doing? He is showing Joshua that what he did for Moses, he will do for him. That the miracles that happened then will happen again. He is the same God that has done it before. He will do it again. He's the same God. He never changes. He's always the same and he is always with you. Now this wasn't the Red Sea. This wasn't a massive sea. This was a river. But God knew that if he could show Joshua that this river will dry up, when he gets to the other side, he'll believe him for anything. What God was doing was starting small with Joshua so that every step forward, the trust was fully in God. He knew that on the other side was Jericho with walls that they couldn't take out, that they couldn't break down, and they needed God to do it. He knew on the other side was challenge after challenge after challenge. There was armies they had to face, cities they had to overtake, they had to defend themselves. There would even be danger from within their own ranks. God knew all of this. But at step one, if he just showed Joshua he was with him, he would trust him for everything else. In this church, we don't have to start at Jericho, right? We don't have to start at 10,000 members and a worldwide um, influence as a ministry. We have to start with what we have here. But where God takes this church, we will never know. We just have to trust Him and walk where He wants us to go. We will impact our community. We will impact our families. We will do what God has called us to do because he has given us the vision. Our biggest enemy is not money. It's not the economy. Our biggest enemy is fear. In your life, it's exactly the same. You don't have to start at Jericho with an army and a wall and a whole city to take out. You have to start at the river right in front of you. How do I take one step? forward? What can I do to take one step towards where God wants us to be? As you take a step into the river, it gets less and it slows down and you take another step and it starts to drain away and you take another step and the ground starts to appear and you take another step and it starts to dry out and you find yourself in the middle of the river where you should be swept away and your whole finances should be gone and your business should be failing and you should have problems yet you are being provided for because you took a step towards where God wanted you to be. Church, we think big. We dream big. But we start small. What does this mean for us as a church? It means we don't have to start at the end. 
What is a prayer session today will be conferences tomorrow. What are worship services today will be albums and worldwide influence tomorrow. What starts as a podcast today will influence our whole country tomorrow. What we do today, God will use and he will grow and he will make it bigger than we could ever imagine if we will not let fear win. Our church, this is part of our culture code. This is who we are. We are going to trust God every time for something bigger. And when he fills this auditorium up, we're going to ask him for more. And when he gives us that more, we're going to ask him for more. Because our God is a big God who created the whole universe. And he is not worried about what we need. He is there to build us and support us and give us the influence that we need. That is who we will always be. But we can only be that. We are collective church. We don't do this alone. We do this together. We can only do that if you and I will put our faith out into God. Not just for our church, but for your life, for your business. We want to put our faith out for you. And we want to put our faith out for each other. How many of us know that right now fear is holding us back? We have a dream. We know where God wants to take us. Our biggest enemy is not the circumstances. Your biggest enemy is fear. But if you won't let fear win, God will take you further than you could ever imagine. And so right now, all across this room, you'll find on your chair a little piece of paper. It says, dream big, start small. On that, on the back, you will see that there's a space. What am I believing God for? At home, I want you to do this exercise as well. What are you believing God for? What is the thing? And maybe you already know what it is and you can already write down, this is what I'm believing God for. It could be in your family. Maybe you're believing God for something, for restoration of family. Maybe you're believing God for a business. Maybe you're believing God for promotion. Maybe you know that God has something for you but you don't know how to get there. I want you to pray. If you don't know already what it is, I want you to pray and seek God. I want you to write that thing down. And then you'll see at the bottom it says step one, step two, step three. Because if you think about the massive worldwide ministry that God's placed inside your heart, you'll stay right here because you don't know how to get from your home to influencing the whole world. Let me tell you, you don't need to know. You don't have to know what the steps are that God's going to do to get you there. That's God's job. Your job is to take one step forward. So what I want you to do is I want you to write three things down that you are going to put into action to start getting you from where you are to where you know God wants you to be. God is faithful to give us vision and you can trust that vision. When God said to Joshua, you're going to take this entire country, it was probably hard for him to believe, but he trusted nonetheless. When God says to you, you can trust it, write it down. And then trust him for three steps that you can start to action. And once those three steps are done, write three more steps down. And once those three steps are done, write three more down and keep walking forward. I guarantee you, as you start walking, the river will dry up and you will cross over on dry ground. Because that's God's plan for your life. Can we pray for a moment in this place? Lord God, we want to honor you in this room. 
We want to thank you that we do not have to fear this world. We do not have to fear what happens in this world and what goes on. Lord, we can trust you. Today, I ask that you will give us a revelation this morning that what is standing in our way from getting where we are to where you want us to be is not the circumstances. It's not our families. It's not even the devil and his work. Lord, it is fear itself being afraid of not being good enough, being afraid of not having enough, being afraid of not being able to do what you have called us to do. That is what's holding us back. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, right now, will you come in and remind us that we have nothing to fear, that we can trust you for every single step. You are our King. You are our God. And we trust in you this morning. I'm asking you, Lord God, that as we write these things down, that you will guide what we write. That we won't just write dreams that are frivolous, but we will write God-given vision down. And we can start to take steps towards that vision. I pray you give us the strength to take that first step. Give us the strength to take that second step. Even when we encounter difficulties and challenges, I pray you will give us a heart that is strong and very courageous. Not fearing what the world does, but trusting in our God. I thank you this morning that you have a plan and a purpose for every person in this church. And you have a plan and a purpose for this church. Let it be, Father, on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give a round of applause to Jesus this morning? I pray you are inspired. I pray you are encouraged to start stepping into the things God has for us. The world wants you to stay where you are, but God has a big and beautiful plan for you. And so church, as we come to the end of this service, Everything that we do surrounds Jesus Christ. Everything we do is about Him. It's for Him. It's not for any one person, but for Him alone. And you might be in this room and you might have never given your heart to Jesus. You might have never really encountered God. Maybe you even grew up in church and you get religion and you understand religion, but you don't really know God. I want to give you an opportunity to come into a deep, connection, relationship, and knowledge with Jesus. And I want to just explain that for one small moment, that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't just a difficult thing to do. What he did on the cross was he paid an overpayment for our sin and our brokenness, the things that make us separate from God. The Bible calls it sin. And what it does is it separates us from God. It puts a barrier between you and God. And you can see it throughout the world. People don't know God. They're looking for Him all around the world. They're looking for Him in all kinds of things, but not finding Him. There is a need inside of every one of us to know God, to be connected to Him. And when Jesus died on that cross, He took all the sin of the world, all the brokenness, all the unhealthiness, all the darkness that was inside of humanity, and He paid the price for it. And that sin that once separated us from God is wiped away, and we can have a relationship with Him. The same kind of relationship that Joshua had, where God speaks to him. 
and lets him know where to go. That same kind of relationship that Jesus had with God, that when there was a storm raging around him, he was asleep and at peace because he knew God was with him. That relationship can be yours today if you will pray a prayer from your heart to place your faith in Jesus, to believe in his sacrifice for you, to receive that fullness into your life. He'll do the same thing for you that he's done for every one of us here to wipe away your sin and restore your relationship to the Father. That is our God. And I want to give you that opportunity today. And so just for one more minute around this room, will you just close your eyes, bow your heads, and get alone with God? I want to pray this prayer and then we're going to close the service. If you want to give your life to Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer from your heart. I want you to pray it with all your might. I want you to truly, truly give your life to Jesus today. If that's you today, I want you to pray with me now. Let's all pray as a church. If it's you, pray from your heart. Say this, Lord Jesus, I come to you today just as I am. All my faults, all my failures, all my victories, I give to you. Forgive me my sins. Wash me clean. Make me right. I give you my life today in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Come on, can we give a round of applause to everyone that prayed that prayer? At the back of the church, you'll find a space that says, Jesus, what's next, right? This is not just about praying a prayer. We want to help you understand what it means to be a child of God. We want to help you understand that. And so will you go to the back? Will you just chat to one of our hosts there and say, I prayed that prayer. I want to know what's next. We'll help you understand it. We'll also walk out the journey with you. Everyone online, there's a link in the chat. You can click right now. You'll connect to one of our hosts so that we can help you walk this out. It's not just about today. We want to walk this journey out and see God's plan and purpose come to pass in your life. He has a massive call for you. He has a massive call for this church. And all we need to do is place our trust in Him. Not my will, but your will be done. And so church, I pray it blesses you. I pray you are inspired to try something new, to step into what God has called you to do and to give all glory to Him. Because in the end, your life is to bring glory to Christ. And so is ours. And as we do that, He's going to change everything. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Hey, everyone. We have now come to the end of our message, and we would love to hear from you. So there's a few ways that you can contact us. You can either drop a comment in the chat below, or you can visit our website, which is www.collective.org.za, and you can contact us from there. We just want to thank you for joining us again today, and our messages come out weekly, so we'll see you again next week.